Good morning. So the title of this morning's service is Giving Generously. And if there's anybody here today who's brought along a friend or a neighbour or a family member for the first time, then you could be forgiven for sitting there thinking, oh great, the first time I finally get someone along to church and they talk about money. (laughs) Money's one of those subjects, isn't it, that we don't like talking about. It's very personal, it's very private, and often it says a lot about us. And so we don't tend to talk about money. And don't worry, this morning we're not going to talk about money. We're going to talk about biblical teaching. There might be one or two references to, to money, but it's all about the Bible. That's what we're about. And there are some passages that as a preacher you see coming up and you think, oh no, quick, I need to book a weekend away. I need to, I need to get out of it. But there should never be anything in Scripture that scares us. Scripture is God-breathed. And so, as long as we understand it, as long as we interpret it correctly, as long as we pray into it and listen to it, we shouldn't be scared of Scripture. And so, the passage that we're looking at today comes from the book of Matthew, and it's at the opening of chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and we're starting from verse 1, and it says this. This is Jesus teaching. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, Do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So recently we've been talking about the Christian character. We started it last year and we're continuing it this year before we go on to looking at um, uh, taking out our Christian character and coming together as a, as a church body to become an effective church. And so we're sort of in that transition period at the moment. And what that means is that we've been doing a lot recently, a lot of, um, a lot of preaching about um, uh, our character, our personal character and how we, how we treat each other, how we deal with one another. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when we, when we look at a passage and we work through it, you sit there thinking, and I always have one or two people in mind, I won't name them, but you think there are these people who we come into contact with every now and then who just seem to be glowing, who just seem to, to, be, to be oozing with Holy Spirit, who just seem to be so godly, it's, it's, almost, it's almost irritating. And you think, why can't I be like that? Watching the Olympic Games in Rio last summer, I was, as many of us were, really over the moon when Mo Farah defended both his Olympic titles. And watching him run is an absolute pleasure. 
because he makes it look absolutely effortless. Whether it's 5,000 or 10,000 metres, half marathon, whatever it might be, he just glides over the track. You can barely see his, his body moving as he just seems to float around. And you think there's hardly any effort there. He's so gifted, so talented. And then after the Olympics, um, there was a report on, I think it was the BBC Sports website, um, and one of their journalists had gone down and watched Mo Farah doing one of his typical training sessions, and they described the training session. And I used to do a little bit of running when I was younger, not, not so much now. Um, but they described this training session and the times he was running, the repetitions he was doing, the speeds he was running at, and it was incredible. It was incredible. There was just lap after lap. He'd start off by doing a, doing a 400, then an 800, and then, and then go up to, I think it was about a mile, and then work back down, do these pyramids, and he'd do a couple of those, and then he'd be warmed up, ready to start the session proper. And then he'd be, he'd be doing all these, all these repetitions, and he'd have other athletes starting at certain, certain points to really push him at certain points in the session. The work and effort that went into it was incredible. And it, the, the article finished by saying... Um, to give you an idea of how difficult this session is, the slowest of Mo Farah's laps, I think it was about 64 seconds, go to your local running track and try and run a lap in 64 seconds and then you'll realise just how incredible this se- the whole session was. Because most of us wouldn't be able to run a lap in 64 seconds, let alone contemplate doing these countless repetitions at, at incredible speeds. That's why when we watch him run at championships... It looks effortless. It's because of the work that goes on behind the scenes. This sort of um, almost a secret life. The training, the hours and hours. In fact, he said, didn't he, when he, when he was interviewed after winning, I can't remember which, which, type, which uh, medal it was, but after he'd won one of the titles he won, he was interviewed and he said, um, people don't realise the amount of work that goes into this. Just work, work, work. That is all I do is run. It, it dominates my entire life. I don't see my children. I don't see my wife for, for months on end. I just train, train, train. When we come to scripture, when we come to church, when we sit and we look around and we see people who just seem to be oozing Holy Spirit, it's not because they are gifted. It's not because God's chosen them specially. It's because of what goes on in the background that we don't see. And so in this passage, we're, we're, sort of, we're, going from, um, we're making a jump from the two most important commandments, from one to the other. So the two most important commandments, when Jesus was asked, um, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbour as yourself. And we've done a lot of looking at loving your neighbour as yourself. We've done a lot of the, the Christian character and how we should treat each other and how we should treat other people out there in the world who aren't necessarily in church. And now we're looking at this, this sort of this secret life. What, what is done in secret between us and our Heavenly Father? Most of us would be very uncomfortable, wouldn't we, if, um, if our bank statements were made public. Understandably, I certainly would. God knows everything. When Jesus taught parables... 38 parables in total, 16 of them taught about something of value, 
16 of them t- um, taught about either uh, treasure or coins or pearls or talents or sheep or something of tangible value in the society that he was teaching to. Jesus was completely aware that, that we operate in a world which is um, where, where money talks. Money makes the world go round. Money is power. All of these phrases that we're familiar with. Jesus was well aware of, of that that was the attitude of the society that he was living in and he also knew that, that that attitude wouldn't go away. He knew that talking about unseen gifts and blessings and giving thanks when we're suffering, he knew that if he, if he taught in those sorts of terms and didn't, didn't try and contextualise it, people wouldn't catch on. Jesus was well aware that money has the potential to be a wonderful thing and has the potential to be the most corrupting of things. And so he gave an awful lot of teaching. In the Old Testament, throughout Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and in fact right back as far as Genesis, there is teaching which the Jews were given on tithing. It wasn't just the 10% that most of us would have heard of in the past, but instead there were all different sorts of giving that was demanded under law that the Jews were expected to bring to the temple. Now, we're not subject to that, and it's a good thing, because actually when you take into account all of the different offerings that were demanded of the Jews, they would have been given away something between 20 and 25% of their income. That's quite a chunk now, of course, you could say they didn't, have, um, didn't necessarily have taxes in the same way and that maybe we give away more of our income than just we do to church. And, of course, that's, that's right. But it was demanded under law. When Jesus came, he was the new covenant. Jesus said, that doesn't apply anymore. But Jesus didn't talk in percentages. Jesus didn't make demands of specific amounts. He didn't say you have to give this, this and this. As we heard earlier, one of the the verses that Paul wrote is, God loves a cheerful giver. I think think it was Ian I was talking to, Ian Smith, earlier this week, and he said one of the conversations he had before before he was baptised with the minister at a church he went to was, what should I be giving? And the answer stuck with him. And the minister said to him, give as much as you can and with, with a smile on your face. As soon as, it, as soon as you stop smiling, stop giving. Jesus says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. This has got nothing to do with other people. What we give has got nothing to do with anybody other than us and God. We should not do our acts, acts of righteousness, whether that's, whether that's helping somebody, whether that's giving lifts, whether that's giving money, whether that's giving time, whether that's, that's giving possessions, whether that's giving a room in a house, whether it's giving food, whatever sort of giving it is. We don't make a song and dance of it. We don't celebrate that, oh, well done. We've just had a brand new church member come in and guess what? They've, they've paid for a new minibus. Brilliant. We should never never make our acts of righteousness in the eyes of men. Instead, 
They should be purely private between us and God. And it's interesting, isn't it? Jesus identifies the motive. We shouldn't, we shouldn't do acts of righteousness before men. Now, of course, if we do have a refugee family come into the church and somebody says, well, look, I've got, I've got two spare rooms in my house, I'm not using, they can live there, people will find out. Jesus isn't saying that's a bad thing. Of course people find out these, the family would give their address, people would want to know where they were staying, they might, be, might have to check certain safeguarding um, issues and things like that to make sure it was, all, it was all above board. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. It's all about our motive. What we do, what we give, it's all about our motive. He says, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on on the streets to be honoured by men. Don't don't publicise what you do. Don't don't use that as a a way of glorifying yourself. Keep it private. Now, of course, that can be challenged. That almost seems contradictory. When we're told elsewhere in scripture, let your, let your light shine before men so that they too may worship your Father in heaven. Okay, so we're supposed to keep it private and quiet and yet we should let our light shine as well. But of course it comes back to the motive. It comes back to the motive. Let your light shine before men so that they too may worship your Father in heaven. So you're not, you're not letting your light shine on you it's almost like you're the one holding the torch. Where are you going to point it? Are you going to point it at yourself? No. You're going to point it at God. I don't know why I point up there. I'm not quite, you know. But you're going to use it as a way of shining God's glory, not your own. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. The people who, who make a big thing of their giving, people who... Um, in, as we're told in, in the synagogues, would announce it with trumpets. Their giving was so lavish, so splendid, they were so wealthy that they could make a public event of their giving to celebrate it. It's not right. It's not biblical. Now, I've been at Biriki for a few months now and I've not seen anybody um, blowing a trumpet as they're putting money into the offering bags. I've not um, come across anybody um, uh, publicising what they give and the way they give. And so that's good. That's a good thing. And to be honest, I don't know of any churches that do that. But this is a problem that Jesus identifies. And he says, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. If we go seeking the, um, the gratification of man, we'll receive the gratification of man. But we won't receive the glory of God. If we give because we want to honour God, then we will receive the reward from God. If we give purely to impress others, we might impress others, but that's worth nothing. Jesus says, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. This secret life, between us and God. That's almost a... I'm not sure what it is, but it's, it's, a, it's an incorrect statement to have a secret life. We cannot have a secret life from God. But we can have a secret life from each other and sometimes that's appropriate. And when it comes to our giving, we shouldn't be lording it up. 
We're very fortunate. We live in a wealthy part of the world. I know there are some people who might sit there and say, well, it's all right for you. You, um, you, know, you might live in a wealthy part, but I don't. But the fact is that living in this country, living in this country means that immediately we're in the top 10% of the world's wealthiest people. There is poverty in the UK, yes. But this country gives us opportunity to be wealthier than we could elsewhere. We are, we are fortunate to be in this country, especially in this area as well. One of the criticisms um, where I used to go to church down in Stock, people used to say, well, this is a very wealthy village. It's, 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 um, it's full of wealthy people. But do you know what? That church gave so much to so many causes. It used wealth in such a positive way that I used to, used to really get irritated when people used to throw the accusation at the church because they did so much but they didn't publicise it. They didn't make it known. There was so much that went on behind the scenes because they knew, they knew, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. There were people who, who desperately needed things in the, in the local community and the church provided, but they didn't publicise it. It was kept quiet because it's the right way. It's the right way to be. We hear so often, don't we, that the negative headlines that are generated about churches. But churches do so much good work because biblical teaching is that we should, that we should be giving, we should support the needy, we should give to the poor, we should feed the hungry. It's what we're called to do, it's what we should do. It doesn't mean that we should celebrate our giving by seeking the approval of man. Instead, we should focus on the approval of God. Your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I learnt a lesson fairly early on in life. I was about 16, 17 and um, I used to have a paper round. And on this paper round I earned £6 a week. It was, yeah, not... Huge? Oh dear. 60p a week. Wow, hey, 60p a week. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Six pounds a week. I'll, I'll take that. Um, when, when, I, when I was 15, um, our milkman, who every week had a, a Saturday boy, um, that Saturday boy retired. He went off to university or something. And um, uh, I got a knock on the door and um, he said, Tom, isn't it? And I said, yeah. He said, Look, I'm looking for someone to help me out on, on Saturdays. You, you, well, Friday nights, you need to spend an hour going around the local village collecting money. And on Saturday, uh, meet me at 6 o'clock in the morning and be finished by 1 in the afternoon. We'll be delivering milk and then uh, collecting money. And um, I took the job and I loved it. It was, it was brilliant. Best thing about it, Saturday morning was the only morning I had to get up early. And, <laughs> you're going to have a heart attack here, sorry. <laughs> I got £40 a week. I know, I know, I know. I don't know why I ever gave it up, honestly. It's great. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. But you see, I was, I was always quite good with money. I used to say, save, I didn't spend. Um, and um, my brother was the other way around. My brother, as soon as he had a few quid, he'd be straight down to um, the sweet shop or as he got older, the pub or whatever, and he would spend money. And he always had nice clothes and he looked good and he was always very generous in you know, buying people drinks or, or gifts or whatever. And um, he was brilliant. But what nobody realised was that he, he didn't 
um, he didn't earn it, he would borrow it um, from me. <laughs> and so I sort of saw him as an investment. Um, and I, I, always, I always liked my brother, he's, he's, a, he's, he's great. And um, so I never had a problem when he'd come and say, oh, can I borrow 20 quid, can I borrow whatever? Um, yeah, I, I, would, I would lend it to him. And um, I was, it's a wonder that my middle name wasn't Ebenezer, because I'd have a notebook that I used to, used to keep on my bedside table and I'd make a little note. And we'd, we'd joke about the interest and, um, you know, I'd always sort of tell him, oh, yeah, so that's now, uh, yep, that's, that's another, yep, so that's £80 you owe me or that's £100 you owe me. And it went up and up and up and eventually got to the point where he owed me um, £400. And um, he, he, he left school and he got a job and he carried on borrowing because, as I say, you know, he'd get money and he'd, he'd spend it. Anyway, six months later, um, I got... A friend of mine said, look, uh, me and the family are going on holiday to Cyprus this summer and uh, I'd love you to come along. Mum and Dad have said I can, I can take a friend along. Would you like to come? And I said, yeah, great. He said, um, uh, Mum and Dad have said, uh, can you pay £600 towards the cost of the holiday? And my heart sank a bit because I thought, I, I haven't got the money. I can't, I can't do that. And Mum and Dad had said I, I could go, but they said, you've got to pay for it. You know, you've got all that money you've been saving up. And I thought, oh, no, I can't, I can't drop my brother in it. Right, what am I going to do? And I, I, I thought about it one night and I thought, right, I'm going to have to say no. I'm going to have to say, sorry, I can't go. Fair enough. That night, my brother got home and um, it was quite late. And he said, Tom, can I, have a, can I have a word? And so went into the kitchen and uh, he pulled out his wallet. And he said, I've, I've had a bonus. And I said, oh, right, OK. Normally, when he pulled out, of his, pulled out his wallet, it was so that I could put something in it. <laughs> He said, I've had a bonus. And he pulled out £700 and he said, that's what I owe you. I said, no, it's not. I counted it. I said, no, no, it's not. It's not. It's not. You, owe, you only owe me this. And I went and got the book. He said, no, no, don't get the book. He said, don't get the book. He said, you've never asked for anything back. You've given it to me. He said, I know you've kept check of it. I always said I'd pay it back. And there you go. You see, I'm not holding myself up as a great example. And I'm not saying that we'd always get paid back. But what I learned from that was that my brother was so grateful that I trusted him. When he said he'd pay me back, even though it didn't come and it didn't come and it didn't come, I trusted him. And eventually, because I'd kept it secret, I'd kept it quiet, he respected that, he was so grateful for that. I hadn't gone to mum and dad and said, look, this is what he owes me, because he knew that they would buy the debt off me and then he'd really be for it. Instead, he just said, look, you've been really good to me. It's been two, I think it was two years and he said, now I've got the money, there you go. And he paid me back and I went on the holiday and had a great time. You see, I learned through that the value of not glorifying giving. Instead, keeping it quiet, respecting the, the sanctity of doing a good deed. I knew there was a chance that I might not get it back from my brother. I knew there was a chance that he might not have got the job or he might not have got the bonus or he might have spent it. I knew that, but I also knew that he was my big brother. I wanted to help him out, and so I did. He was so grateful that I kept my giving secret. And he still, taught, he still looks back now, and since then he's been incredibly generous to me because he respected the way that I conducted myself. We as Christians, I wasn't a Christian then, we as Christians, it's not just a, a, a sort of, a nice thing to do morally. We as Christians, biblically, shouldn't celebrate our giving 
publicly for the, for the love of man. But instead, we should honour God and we should, we should trust that our Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward us. Tithing is a difficult subject to preach on. And as I say, we're not necessarily talking about tithing today. Tithing, people often think of 10% of your income. But you see, it's not our income, is it? Everything we have comes from God. Everything we have. That's not just the material things, that's not just the, the world we live in. That includes finances. So often we make giving a, a, a finance issue. Oh, I, I can't afford that. I've got this loan. I've got this commitment. I can't afford to give, um, give, give 10%. I, okay. But it shouldn't be a, a finance issue. Our giving should be a faith issue. Our giving is something that, that we do because we want to. You know, in, so, in some churches, I was really pleased this morning when Michelle announced the offering. Because in some churches, they say we're going to take up the collection like it's a church tax. Like, um, you know, come on, cough up. You, you're here. You're about to get a sermon. Come on, pay up. It's not like that. This is an offering. This is, this is one of the ways, one of the many ways in which we can, we can say thank you. Lord, thank you for what you've given us. Thank you so much. And Lord, I just want to offer back a, a small part of what I've got for, to you, to use to further your kingdom, to, to further the, the number of people that come to know you. It's not a collection. It's an offering. It's something we give out of love as a, as a, as a thank offering for what God's done for us. It just shows our heart. The way that we are with our money. The way we use our money. If our money is primarily focused on us, then it says a lot about us. But if we use our money to help others, to glorify God, then our reward may not be through the adoration of man. Our reward will be through our Father in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we look around this world and there is so much that we just take for granted. There is so much that we just simply don't stop and think about. And yet, Father, help us, we pray, to remember that everything we have comes from you. Everything we have around us, everything we have in our homes, every member of our family, every every blink of the eye, every beat of the heart, every penny in our bank account, it is from you. And so, Father, we pray that, that you'll help us to have the right attitude, to understand that you have given us everything that we have, and so it's not really ours. Help us to be freed from what the world insists money is 
this all-powerful thing which, by which we are judged, by which we are, we are judged to be a success or a failure. Heavenly Father, help us to remember that the words rich and poor necessarily respond to money. They don't necessarily refer to money. We can be rich in you and yet poor by the standards of the world. And Father, that is such a good way to be in comparison to the alternative, which is being rich in the world but, but not knowing you. Heavenly Father, by your Spirit, we pray that you will continue to provide for us. You will continue to, to give us what we need. Maybe not what we want, but certainly what we need. And Father, we pray that you'll help us to identify the needs of the world around us. Lord, prompt us if there is any way that we can reach out to people, any way that we can give, any way that we can, we can glorify you by sharing some of the good gifts that you've given to us. Father, we pray you will open our eyes to those opportunities. Lord, you are sovereign. You are King of kings and Lord of all. You give us so, so much. Not because we deserve it, not because we earn it, but through your grace. Through your grace and your love and your mercy. Father, help us to respond to you with the right heart, with the right attitude. Help us be as generous to others as you are to us. In Jesus' name, Amen.